Today, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of your word, and we thank you for the love of our Savior. Open the word today to us and keep us in your wonderful care. Pray that your word will speak to our very lives, our hearts, our minds. May we be willing to carry out what you're saying. We thank you for the grace and the mercy of God. We pray that in all things that you will be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Sister Jack, it's good to see your friend here today. I forgot his name. Well, you can uh, give his name again. I've seen him about three times now. I'm counting. Yeah, I'm counting. <laughs> your name again? Don, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Nancy, always good to see you as well. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Actually, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to read 1 through 10. Then I'm going to give you a couple of other scriptures. So Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the uh, New International Version. And it says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Go to verse number 14. And it says, But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Go to verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Verse 22, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. As a title, I've given this sermon, Healed and the After Effects. <laughs> healed and the after effects. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when we read chapter 3, as Peter and John went to the temple, there was a man that had been lame, and he was placed at the gate called Beautiful. This gate was 
inlaid with bronze and overlaid with silver and gold. I believe it got its name because of how it was made, expensive. And this man was laid there. It was a gate that many of the people passed through. And this man was placed there every day to ask people for alms. And because he was lame, to ask them for money because he had no other means to make money. And I commended this man because even in his lameness, he went to work. Couldn't walk. But he found somebody to pick him up every day and take him to the gate called Beautiful so he could work. I am convinced that work is good for you. I'm convinced of that. The Lord said it. So if he said it, it's good. I don't like getting up every day to go to work. I am not a morning person. I'm a night person. I will stay up to 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes. i got to get up at 7. And then can't get out to bed. My snooze works very, very well. It will snooze for an hour, hour and a half sometimes. I don't know why they make snoozes go up for nine minutes. Why not make it ten? <laughs> that minute can make a big difference. Believe me. <laughs> so in chapter three, we are at a place. It's good to hear babies cry because as my dad said, that means that the church is growing. <laughs> in chapter two, as we had read and as we had dealt with before, um, we were dealing with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 3, the healing of the lame man. And then chapter 4, the after effects. What happened when this man was healed and as Peter and John are standing there talking to the people? According to Dr. John G. Butler, the religious leaders went dormant after Jesus was killed. The disciples were not a threat, and Jesus was off the scene. However, the healing of this crippled man quickly reactivated the hostility that Jesus faced when he walked the earth, and the two disciples were the first to experience this renewed hostility and anger from the religious leaders. The first point that we want to look at today, and that is the leaders are angry because of the message and the focus of the message. The leaders are angry because of the message and the focus of the message. If you want to see the true colors of a person, tell them about Jesus. You want to see what people really think and what they feel? Go ahead and mention Jesus to them. You'll find out pretty quickly. You'll find out if they know the Lord. You'll find out if they're fake. You'll find out if they're angry and don't care. You'll find out oftentimes where they stand. 
There are all types of psychological tests in the instruments to try and tell you the personality of a person. Whether a person has been genuine, whether or not you can trust this person, whether or not a person has hidden anger. I can save my profession a lot of money by simply going to the Bible and asking people, so what do you think about this Jesus of the Bible? That'll tell you real quick what people think. All the psychological instruments, all the tests can be faked. But bring up Jesus and you'll quickly find out where people stand. The religious leaders have been reawakened by the healing of this man. The, this first miracle after the coming of the Holy Spirit has reopened the hostility from the head religious leaders towards a group of disciples belonging to or connected to Jesus. Know carefully that they approached when the disciples were still speaking to the people in verse 1. But they were not interested in hearing about the miracle. Their disturbance came about because they heard them proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That's what brought about their hostility. They weren't happy that this man who had been lame for over 40 years Amen. from birth, they weren't concerned that this man was healed or that his suffering was relieved. They were concerned about their hatred for Jesus Christ. Today we live in a world that will tell you in a minute, Jesus does not belong in the public square. They're even trying to tell you what to preach in church. You're preaching hatred and hostility. Why don't you just preach acceptance? God is a God of separation. God is a God who is holy and demands holiness from his people. And when we begin to look at what God requires, you cannot be joined with the world and be okay with God. The world does not like God. And you would think that these religious leaders, from the very fact that they are called high priests and Pharisees and Sadducees and, 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 this, and the religious leaders, you would think that they would be the very ones promoting and talking about Christ. But no, they are the very ones who are hating on Jesus. And now... They're upset with his disciples. So this dormant part of their life has been quickly reawakened. Their hostility has rushed to the forefront. Why? Because the disciples are proclaiming the resurrection through Jesus Christ. They are showing their true colors. And this is the after effects of the man who has been healed. We can get so worked up because someone has used our name in a bad way. Your name was given to you by your parents. They probably looked in a book. Say, what can we call this child? 
Give me some names I can look up in that my child's going to have a hard time spelling. <laughs> Where none of the letters seem to make sense. Well, Sade, you think is Shar, S-H-R. No, S-A-D-E. What, where's the R? <laughs> we have names today that we give our kids. And the names oftentimes distinguish, or we think, are to distinguish who they are. In the Bible, names were very important. They were given to tell a story about the person or to say what they actually hoped that person would maybe grow up to be. But it said something special about that person. As I mentioned before, we don't see too many names of Jezebel. And when the name comes up, it is not normally said in a positive light. And if they say you just a Jezebel, that ain't good. <laughs> if they say you just a Herod, that ain't good. No, no. Names are important. So your parents named you. Some kids, as they get older, don't like the name, they change it. One of my friends changed the name. I still can't get his first name. I call him by his old name still because that's what I know. <laughs> I don't call him by his new name. It's weird to me. I know you by your old name. So everybody else can call you. I'm still going to call you by your old name that I know. It was God himself that dispatched the angel and told Mary and Joseph what to name Jesus. That name carried special significance and meaning. It was no name just pulled out of a hat. It was not a name of five that it doesn't make a difference which one we choose, just reach and grab one. No, it came directly from God, and he told them what to name Jesus. Someone find for me Matthew 1, 21. And she shall, they're taking too long. And they're going to call him Emmanuel, God with us. It was no name that was just thought of at the last minute, but before the creation of the world, God had already said that this is going to be the name. And it is this name, even today, that causes many people to go mad. Causes many people to lose their mind when Jesus Christ is mentioned. Cause many people that at the time of Christmas to say, we don't want to hear that name. We don't want to hear people saying Christmas. And we, we don't want to hear people saying that, so just say happy holidays. The leaders had thought that they had gotten rid of Jesus. But when they approached the disciples, they once again, hearing the very name of the one that they despised, and the very one that they killed, as they hear this name, it causes them to start their planning. The after effects of this healing has now brought up the name Jesus, and they are losing their mind. Point number two, major damage done to Satan's kingdom before going to jail. Major damage done to Satan's kingdom before 
the disciples, if you want to put a name there, going to jail before they went to jail. Satan does not simply want to slow you down. He wants to stop you completely. He is not interested in just hindering your walk. He wants to destroy your walk. He wants to destroy your testimony. Satan is not your friend. He will be your friend in the sense of on paper. He'll be your friend to gather you in, but it's only to get you close enough so that he can get a better hold on you. Satan does not have your best interest in heart or in mind. He wants to stop you. And one of the things that we've got to come to understand is that when Satan attempts to block what God is doing in your life, it only gives God, only gives God the opportunity to show forth his power. Some of us get so bent out of shape because we are going through a few things. But it is through the trials and the persecutions of life that God is able to work in our lives to get the glory and to bring you through victoriously. Sometimes our trials crush us, but your trials are to strengthen you. Don't think about your trials as being something that's to tear you down. It's how you think about them. God allows certain things into your life. If you will belong to God, understand this. Satan has to bring what he wants to do to you through God. God has to approve anything that comes into your life and through or to you. Now, you step out of the will of God. You're on your own. Now, typically, God's still in his mercy will keep you. But when you move outside of God's will, let me even say this. There was a big dog that walked past this fence every day. And this little dog on the other side would just bark, just bark up a storm at this big dog to the end of the gate. Turn around, come and buy me a little dog, walk on back. Big old dog kept going. Every day, when they got to the end, the gate was open. And there stood that big dog and that little dog. And I'm going to just ad lib here. Little dog, oh man, my bad dude, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I was just barking, man, just to say, what's up? All the days, <laughs> didn't mean nothing, man, didn't mean a thing. What's up? How you doing? Go on about your business. I'm cool. I'm just going to hang out right in the yard. Good to meet you, bro. (laughs) You see, things can change quickly when there's nothing blocking you any longer from the enemy. When there's no barriers anymore in place, you got to understand that your uh, voice and uh, your thinking begins to change quite rapidly. You see, when you step outside of God's will, Satan says, I've been waiting for you to do that all the time. Just like when kids are playing tag and there's bass, some of them will do one of these numbers. Man, 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 can't get me. They venture only so far until they can get back to the bass. Some of them take a chance 
and go a little bit further and get caught. See, that's what Satan does. He just keep waiting. And some of us keep playing with Satan. says, I'm going to go a little bit further. The problem that you need to understand is that you don't know how far Satan can reach. And when you think you're safe, you're in danger. Satan is waiting for you to get outside of the arms of God. He, he, he's waiting for you just to expose yourself so that the covering that God has over your life is no longer there so he can get you. The disciples understood a principle that the healing of this man was the result of what God was doing. And no matter how much pressure that the enemy, that he worked through these religious leaders, no matter what they tried to do to discredit and to take away what God was doing, they said it is through Jesus Christ. We're not going to play on your territory. I don't care what you bring, what you say, it is Christ, the resurrection of Christ that brought about this man's healing. We're not playing your games. We're not going on your territory. We're staying right where the safety is, and that's in Jesus Christ. We're not going to bow. And they came at a time to these men while they were speaking. So Satan doesn't want to stop you. He wants to destroy or slow you down or just hinder you. He wants to stop you. Now back in verse 1, the religious leaders brought the temple guard. One reason for bringing the guard, I believe, was that the religious leaders did not have the power to arrest. They could hire their own guards. Rome allowed them to do this, but they couldn't arrest, nor could they execute anyone without the approval of Rome. Possibly, they also came to keep a riot from taking place, because what were the people doing? They were worshiping and praising God for the miracle that had just happened. They were saying, look at what God is doing. But from the time the religious leaders hear and show up on the scene, another 2,000 people are saved. I want you to get the picture here. Major damage has been done to Satan's kingdom in a short amount of time. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. Then when this man is healed and the people came running and said, how could this happen from the time Peter and John started to preach and from the time the word got to those religious leaders to come here and, 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 to, and to see what's happened, 2,000 more people believed. So that the number grew now to 5,000. It don't take a long time for God to do his work. It don't take God long to be able to get his point across. God is God. And so when they show up on the scene, they're coming to investigate what's happening here. And they were disturbed because they heard them preaching about the resurrection of the dead, the Christ, the Savior. That's what set them off. If your agenda is stopping Jesus and others from speaking about him, and if killing him did not solve the problem of lives being saved, and reading the earth of his name and influence, then you've got a serious problem on your hands that even after all you've done, and even after killing Jesus, he's still having this effect, that's saying something. But they're saying it's the resurrection. 
The measures that were taken by the religious leaders toward Jesus in his ministry were initially verbal. It grew, though, to the point of murder. The measures being taken by the religious leaders towards the disciples starts first with threats. But later, even the disciples are killed. No matter how Satan has tried to stamp out the word and influence of Jesus Christ, the harder Jesus is hit, the harder the impact has been on the lives of people turning to him. It is through persecution that people are saved. This man had suffered for 40 years, and not one religious leader was able to heal him. This man sat right at the temple where they could have shown mercy, and they didn't do it. But the day he gets healed, here they come, complaining. You can't stop Jesus. This world can't stop Jesus. I, I don't care what you try to do or say, this world cannot stop the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has a way of just showing himself. Things are going on sometimes in such a way to where people are feeling like, oh, we're making progress. Look at, we're taking this out. And God sometimes a little, little something come on yeah. through, a little storm come on through, a little flood. And everybody can, oh, look at the hand of God. Huh? Let me run to the church. It's only show. God knows how to show himself. Yeah. And remember this. Yeah. The victory is in the Lord. Ultimately, God is going to show that he's in charge. He, he, he's just allowing people, you know, to do, to do their little things, trying to give them a chance to repent. And the religious leaders have no excuse. Because I want you to think about this. The priest, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, Annas, Caiaphas, all these individuals that are coming, brings us to our third point, and we're going to close. Point three. Influential people are often used to stop the message about Christ. Influential people are often used to stop the message about Christ. Just like Satan goes after church leaders to get to the flock, so he also uses men of influence of the world to try to stop the message about Jesus. It is not surprising that the head honchos are gathering together to deal with this healing and this talk about Jesus Christ. John G. Butler notes that, that people of influence are often used to attack the word of God rather than a bum whom ha- who has no, no influence or very little influence. Amen. These leaders convene the Sanhedrin to address this concern they have of the two disciples preaching about Jesus. What is the Sanhedrin? Does anyone know what the Sanhedrin is without Brother Jerry and Sister Michelle? Yes, Sister Florence, what were you saying? Elders. Okay. The elders, it included the, it included the elders. Yes, Get, uh, Lee? It was the high council. That's right. I'm looking for a more specific word. You're, that's right. That's good. Yes. Um, it may have included them, but not quite. Still, everybody's on the right track. Anyone else? Court system, it was the highest. What is the highest court system we have today? It was the Jewish Supreme Court, the Jewish 
leader Supreme Court. The Sanhedrin was made up of about 70 to 71 members. And this is the group that comes to the scene. I mean, to get the Jewish Sanhedrin, that means, man, you've done something. And it is this group that gathers together to confront. You see, it's the world who says, those people of influence, if we get them to say it, then it'll carry some weight. God don't care who you are. He don't care what influence you got on the earth. God is able to blink and you're gone. As my dad said, God could just wish you away. And you're gone. These Jewish leaders here have come against the very God. Back in Matthew 121, she'll give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Every knee one day is going to bow to the name of Jesus, whether willfully or by force. So they convene the Sanhedrin. There's hardly a greater tragedy than when a person tries to stamp out truth in order to promote that which is popular and yet did wrong. We have elevated our feelings and own personal beliefs above the word of God. We have isogeted scripture rather than exegeted scripture in order to make us feel better. Yes, I'll tell you what those words mean. Because some of you, he's at what? Iso what? Exo what? Isogete. Exogete. Isogete means that when you look at the scripture, you are reading into it what you want to read into it. You're reading your thoughts, your ideas. You're giving it your own interpretation. Rather than exegete and allowing the scripture to, to preach out of what's there and speak into our lives. See, the word of God is to, to, to deal with us where we are. See, when we don't like something, we'll tell a person what the scripture says. Yeah, the, the Lord says in his word that I am to, to slap you back if you slap me. <laughs> it does. I thought he said turn the other cheek. He says no, slap him back twice. You isogeting. Exegete says, when he says slap, it means don't retaliate. In other words, when you exegete, when you read the word of God, and you read out what's the context, what was the purpose of them writing this? What is the word of God saying? And so when people read into scripture, they read into what they, read in what they wanted to say. We go to secular people for spiritual truths rather than, than the men and women of God because we don't like what the men and women of God have to say. We have multiplied lies to prop us up when the word of God is tearing down everything in our lives that's not right. These leaders are not inter interested in the source of the healing of this man. They're more interested in what they believe regardless of how off it is. They sin to their soul's content, because to give in now to truth would prove that they have been living a lie. And even the question might be raised in verse 7, by what power or what name did you do this? 
The answer cannot be accepted because it falls outside of what one is willing to hear and accept. It is through Jesus Christ that this man is healed today. Clearly, influential people in the world who have an agenda can be used mightily by Satan because they like what he has to offer, and that is pride. But Peter refuses to be influenced by any powerful source. That's not right. He rightly points this group as well as the people that he has preached to, to the resurrected Christ. For it is said, it is through him that this man stands here healed. Amen. Bow your heads. Today, Lord, we thank you for speaking to our lives. When we look at healing, may we clearly look at the after effects. And may the after effects in our lives reveal the glory of God rather than the enemy's attempt to discredit what you're doing and saying. We pray today that, God, you will take us and keep us and bless us, that we will be a blessing to others. We honor you today, Lord, and may we understand that it is Jesus Christ, the name that God gave to Joseph and Mary, that that child was to be, the child to be born, that was to be his name. And that it's at the name of Jesus that every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to fess, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the name of Jesus. It's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's the Christ. It's the one that died and saved to save us from our sins and rose that we may have a right to the tree of life. And it's, and it's the same Jesus that is still saving souls today. We thank you, Lord. Eyes closed. Anybody in this place, have you not made the Lord your Savior? If you're, if you're still on the fence, today is the time for you to be saved. Eternity is too long. Eternity is too long. I want you to look at me just for a moment as we bring this to inclusion. I want you to think of eternity in this way. And you may have heard it. I want you to think of one of those big wrecking balls that tear down buildings. This big wrecking ball is sitting on this hill, and there's a bird that once a year flies across, let's say, 1,500 miles and brushes its wings against that wrecking ball and flies back 1,500 miles. Eternity would be like that ball with the brush of those feathers basically rubbed down, or I guess I should say when the bird rubs or brushes its wings until that ball is completely gone, that's an indication or idea of how long eternity is. Once a year he comes and just brushes its wings. And when that ball is gone, eternity has just had its first day. Eternity is too long to play with. So when people say, oh, I, I, I'm going to have a good time. No, no, they don't get it. 
Eternity is too long. The Lord died for your sins. He died so that we wouldn't have to spend eternity outside rather than being inside with him. If you haven't made Jesus your Lord, today is the day. Anybody in this place saying, you know what, I need to be saved right now. Come see me right after church. Or you can right now, you can say, yeah, I'm, I'm that one. I, I'm willing. I'm willing to say yes to the Lord. Anybody in this place today saying, yeah, I'm the one. And if you don't want to do it right in front of everybody, come see me after. It's a serious, serious situation, a serious matter.